Welcome to Thatch and Earth, your guide to conservation-focused travel. I'm Lawrence. And I am Phoebe. And today we're going to be chatting to one of our good friends, Colleen Lindbergh. She is an expert in all things voluntourism, and we get into the topic of voluntourism with her today. It's super controversial, there's a lot of opinions floating around, and we really sort of dig into it and see what we can find out. Now, I've personally done quite a few volunteerism projects, I've worked on projects, and I've been a volunteerist myself. So this is a topic that I have a lot of experience with, and it was really interesting to um, get someone else's opinion, someone who works in the field directly. So without further ado, Colleen, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Phoebe. Hi, Colleen. Thanks for having um, me. <laughs> absolute pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Um, so... I think you are probably better at giving a bit of background about yourself than I am. So would you like to just do a little introduction of yourself for everyone? Sure. So I'm originally from the US and then have moved around quite a bit and was living in Australia and was like, you know what, I want to go do some volunteering. So I did a couple different volunteer projects in South Africa. Oh, wait, sorry. No, in Africa. I already messed up. (laughs) I volunteered in Madagascar and then also in Kenya. And then after I was in Madagascar, came to South Africa as a backpacker and was like, oh, this place is really cool. So then I looked into UCT and then ended up doing my master's there in conservation biology, which is where I met Phoebe and Lawrence. And then after that, uh, yeah, I ended up getting a job in volunteerism. So I've been working since last year in like the volunteerism sector. Cool. Didn't you find a new species in your thesis too? Oh, I sure did. A new species of amphipod. So that was very I, exciting. I was thinking earlier, and I couldn't remember whether you had or whether there was like a half a species or something, but I was like, I better get that right. She found a new species. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty epic. I really wouldn't mind having that on my CV. I think most <laughs> biologists wouldn't mind that on their CV. To be fair, I didn't know what I was looking at. Charles Griffiths described it, but I did find it. <laughs> take the credit. Take the credit. It's fine. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I would definitely be taking credit for that if it was me. Um, but as, when it comes to the volunteerism industry, I don't really know too much. Um, as being someone who's a little bit more naive in the topic, would you be able to define that role a bit more for us? And what exactly does it entail to be involved in the volunteerism industry? Okay, so sure. So with my background, um, I was hired to, they call it like a destination manager for their conservation projects. So it'll either be projects that African Impact runs, who I work for, or we have third parties who we work with. So there's like different partnerships we have. So I'm like the liaison between the projects and then potential volunteers and interns. So they will, I'm like the initial point of contact. They ask me all the questions and see if they're interested or not. And then, yeah, we go from there. So then I, yeah, I will be in touch with all the projects and I was supposed to go visit them all, but then coronavirus happened. So didn't, didn't quite get there, but got to go out to Kruger for a week. So that was really cool. That's still fun. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so do you get like a range of, um, people coming in or is that like a particular student body that you get or like you do get a range like yesterday I was speaking to a woman who's 75 and wants to come to South Africa for like four weeks which is amazing that's amazing (laughs) but typically it's like people that are 18 to 22 and we get a lot of Americans a lot of people from the UK and then Dutch and Italian people as well not so much Australia New Zealand I think they go more like Asia for this kind of thing but it is like a variety of people That's cool. I think, so I've also had quite a bit of volunteerism experience, also Madagascar um, and Namibia um, and a few others. Um, 
And I think one of the issues that not necessarily I faced, but relatives and friends couldn't quite get their head around was like whether this was actually work or whether it was just a glorified holiday. For what sure. is your thought around that? Because most of my family was like, aren't you all well, you're paying? You may, you're, you're just mm-hmm. going on holiday. Yeah. And I was like, no, but it's, it's so much more than that. For sure. Like, no, I agree with you. It's confusing. And I think it really depends on the project you join because I have done some volunteering, like pay to volunteer. We are just collecting data for the sake of collecting data, like just as a way to fund the organization. Then that can be frustrating. But if you actually get on a project where they are using the data to do good, then I feel like it is more like a job where you are like held to a standard, you have to be uh, be able to collect data and analyze it and be like responsible. Then I feel like that's like a really good experience for people to have getting into conservation. Like as you know, jobs are not readily available and it's very competitive. So I think it can be a really really good experience. And for some people, I think it is just a holiday. Like they want mm-hmm. to go on a holiday, but they want to give back a little bit and they're like, I don't want to just be a tourist. So then they do the volunteering as well. So I think it definitely depends on the person and the situation as to whether or not it's a holiday or a So job. you'd be able to say that it's um, subjective dependent on what the user or the, the guest or the volunteer is trying to get out of that experience per se. So say you were there just to go and get pure experience for work, you would find that there'd be X amount of people doing that. And if there were people looking for a little bit more of a holiday type of experience you'd find that there'd be those kind of individuals so it can be seen as slightly subjective depending on who they are and what they're wanting um how would you define that role then particularly from your perspective uh, what exactly would volunteerism mean to you for sure so uh, i think you could view it as just gaining experience because a lot of like entry-level positions want you to have field experience already and experience collecting data So I think it's the same thing if you do like an unpaid internship, if you have like a business degree. So sometimes it can be a way to get experience in your field without like being fully employed. And it gives you like more flexibility as well, where if you've only got like a month, you can go do that and you can learn data collection techniques and actually know what you're talking about for like when you start getting into the job field. I think it's helpful from that point of view. Does that answer your question? I still refer back to my experience that I got from volunteerism now in job applications. Like it's, it, it really was so valuable. And like, I struggled with it at a point of like, is it, am I actually gaining anything? And then someone was like, but it got you into this field. Like it allowed you as someone from the UK to pursue your passion for carnivore conservation in Southern Africa. And it actually got you there. And that was so valuable for me. Like there's all you can't learn stuff out of the field really as we're kind of learning now that we can't go into the field because of COVID we're kind of realizing like it's so valuable that actual practical experience is really really valuable and I think that's a main point of volunteerism like that's a main like pro for it. Absolutely one of the one of the other questions that I was quite curious to know then around this is uh, if I if I was to be involved in one of these volunteerism um, positions, would, would it be something that I'm paid for? Is it something that I have to pay myself? Or is it something that is, as the name would suggest, purely based on being a volunteer? Yeah, I would say in conservation, it's going to be either you pay to intern or you work for free. I haven't really heard of many paid internships, unfortunately, in conservation. 
Um, but I think with internships too, it's a really great exposure to data analysis and using GPS technology. And some people might find, I mean, I think people with conservation, they always want to be working in the field, but oftentimes you're behind a desk. And I think it's a really good exposure to data analysis. And if this isn't something you like or are good at, then like it's not necessarily the correct field. Cause like, I don't know, internships are really good for that, exposing you to like different techniques for data management which is super yeah. useful. Yeah, and I think like like you say, it can also be used as an opportunity to realize what you don't want to do. And if anything, paying for that so you don't waste the next three years of your life trying to pursue a career that you realize, actually, I don't even want to be in this, can be extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I talk to about with people that are considering doing a master's degree and they want to do like an internship before. It's like, yeah, make sure you actually enjoy this because if you don't, then... Yeah, don't waste your money or time yeah yeah mm -hmm. definitely and even just like not even the subject matter like it will show you do you enjoy being out in the field because sometimes it's not fun to be in the field 24 hours a day seven days a week like sometimes it's actually nice to do the data analysis sit behind a desk but it really lets you realize what what you enjoy just sort of in terms of categories of work rather than specific like expertise which is extremely valuable um, so you work with people who want to come out to Southern Africa to be uh, work on these volunteerism projects. What would you say generally, not specifically with the projects you're working with, but generally, um, what are good and bad things to look out for when you're choosing a project or a volunteerism opportunity to go for? Yeah, for sure. Particularly in South Africa, there's a lot of really bad volunteerism. There's so many different like sanctuaries that operate that really have no conservation purpose whatsoever and they just breed animals in captivity and say they're going to release them and either they release very few or the ones they do release don't survive and it just kind of perpetuates this breeding of animals in captivity and that's a huge issue with um, the larger carnivores yeah the lion petting thing is a lot of volunteers or tourists don't realize like that is actually supporting the canned lion hunting industry and there's so much misinformation out there where people come out and they think they're actually helping to support conservation and I just think that's such a, a shame when people do want to spend money and do want to work towards like helping the planet and helping wildlife and then they end up supporting these like super unethical projects so I think it's really important to do your homework and just look at like what you're looking at in general like should I be walking with lions? Like, probably not. And yeah, just using a little bit of critical thought, just because some sanctuary tells you it's fine, like, doesn't necessarily mean it is. So yeah, I think you need to really do your homework and look at, yeah, the history of where you want to volunteer and just at the industry in general. Yeah, well, actually sort of cub petting all the way through to lion bone trade has been a big theme of articles I've been writing recently. And I think that's the, the most unethical part of it to me is that you're lying to people, is that people who really want to contribute to conservation or, you know, want, want to gain experience in carnivore conservation come out to these places and are told these lions are going to go back out into the wild when, in fact, that will never happen. That's ecologically dangerous to put them back out into the wild. And I think you're exactly right. Like critical thought is so important. And it's it's difficult because marketing is powerful and it's it sells you these these projects that you think you you just assume everyone's trying to do good. Um, and yeah, thinking critically, I think is really, really, really important. And just to touch on it, you were saying um, that it's a, it's a bit of a red flag if you 
see a sanctuary that says, oh, I can go walk with a lion and you can help out. Is is there anything else that you could possibly maybe use as a red flag to kind of be a little bit more critical when it comes to these sorts of things and to know that this is maybe not exactly the place that it's advertising itself mm-hmm. to be? For sure. I think, um, yeah, if you think about is this a situation that would naturally stretch, like stress out an animal, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Like in the wild, would you go up and like pet an elephant? No. So I think if you just think about it, like this probably is going to stress the animal out, even if it's habituated. And then too, with like sanctuaries and rehabilitation centers, like there are really good rehabilitation centers that do release wildlife. And then there are sanctuaries that might do a little bit of rehab, but mostly just keep animals. So I think if you look and see like, is this rehabilitation center releasing the stuff that it helps like, you know, make better then that's probably okay. But if these animals are just there for years and years and years and are there for tourists, then like that's probably something to avoid. Interesting. And I'm noticing we keep touching on sanctuaries and rescue centers, and I'm quite curious to know if there is a bit of a difference between the two, or how would you define the difference between the two if there is a difference? Sure. And the words can be used interchangeably as well, so it does get confusing. But in my mind, like a sanctuary is where animals will an injured animal, an orphan animal will come and they will live like the rest of their life at the sanctuary. They never get released back into the wild. And then like a rehabilitation center is meant to just be like an area you take an injured animal, help it rehabilitate and then release it back into the wild. And like, I know a lot of rehabilitation centers too, if an animal can't be released, they'll euthanize it. So they just like don't have any interest in keeping an animal to bring tourists where a sanctuary might have an animal that can't be re-released and then just keep it until it lives out the rest of its life. Would that be, say, more of an emotive response to say, you know, you don't want to euthanize this animal, therefore we keep it in a sanctuary, or could it possibly be seen as more of a money-making tool, which would also be pretty pretty horrible to think about, but unfortunately this sometimes is the nature of the conservation industry sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely does happen. And that one's so tough, too, because you can see kind of both sides of it. Like, is it better for the animal to have a little bit of a life at a sanctuary, or is it better to euthanize it? And yeah, I think it really depends on the person. So that's like a tough one. Yeah, that no, fair enough. That is such an intense question. Mm. That's like my, my brain, I'm just sat here, my brain's like exploding right now with that debate. Because it's like, do you do you euthanize the animal and then you don't encourage like tourists to go and visit places or do you use the animal to educate tourists to say go and visit them in the wild well i suppose then that that becomes a whole ethics question because if you if you have a company that has good a good moral value then you'll probably find that you know it's more for the protection of the species and education but a lot of people do lean towards the money side and that's when ethics sometimes takes a back seat and that's when you start noticing, you know, as you were saying, the sanctuaries that just keep animals in for a long time, have a high turnover rate of guests coming in and out and that's what keeps the money up. And that's not necessarily beneficial for the animals. And I think most people who get involved in conservation tend to think that animals need to come before people. I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. I might just be speaking myself, well, but it in, sounds like in we're in the case, same boat, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's just really, really interesting. My mind's just sat here like... <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, and I don't even fully know how I feel about it either. Like, it's, mm. You can see both sides of it. Yeah, because I've definitely, before I got into conservation properly, like I've definitely been to 
sanctuaries where they're like, we've got these two lion cubs and their mother was killed. Uh-huh. And now I look back <laughs> at I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Yeah. I'm like, we're going to release them into the wild. You can't touch them, but they're eating out of dog bowls. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what we actually saw was there was there was nothing conservation focused about that. There was no benefit to the lions or really the people. And it's only when you have hindsight and hopefully this can just give people like what's that current hindsight where you can actually like think critically and say like that actually wouldn't be right. That's not benefiting anyone it's just giving people a good experience to take a photo and put it on instagram Mm -hmm. yeah and there's so much uh, i don't know wrong with the whole lion cub petting and that whole industry because it's i was uh, i did an online course and they were talking about it specifically with how canned lion hunting has like no conservation value whatsoever where like actual trophy hunting does because it can give money to these parks where it's just giving this huge amount of money to a very, very, very small percentage of the population. And it doesn't help local communities. Like it just is masquerading as having some sort of conservation value when it really doesn't at all. So that's like, I've overheard like volunteers or tourists just when I met backpackers talking about how they've done this and that. And they like genuinely have no idea how bad like lion cut petting is. And that like makes really upset and then even at backpackers you'll stay and you'll see brochures out for it and like one thing we always do is in the rooms like hide those brochures or throw them away so it's like one less Mm -hmm. person sees them yeah and that's it if it's just one person like it's an it's a whole industry that's built so it's going to take so long to get rid of it but even I worked for a volunteerism organization in Neisner and we had I don't know 10 12 British volunteers come over and all they wanted to do was pet a lion cub because they'd seen something on social media somewhere and it was some trend and they arranged it and I was just like it's it's not they think that they're doing a good thing and it it's not it's just not helping lions it's not helping people it's not providing money to anyone except a business that's built on lying to people sure yeah Another another little tough question, and totally understand if um, it's a it's a little bit difficult to answer. But how would you combat this if you had free reign to to tackle this issue particularly? How would you go about it? Would there be something that could probably dissuade people from doing that? And if so, what would it mm-hmm. be? So one thing, the South African government's been very weak on this. So they could just outright ban canned lion hunting because it's not allowed, as far as I know, in any of the other African countries. I could be wrong on that. But the government's been very weak on that. So they could just have stricter enforcement. But, I'm, um, you know, that's probably not going to happen because there's obviously, like, a pretty powerful lobby there. But, yeah, I just think educating... Uh, tourists more would be a great start like one thing yeah Dave and I have talked about is yeah just working with like local backpackers and letting them know like do you understand what this supports you understand how bad this is and then having the backpackers when tourists arrive like talk to them about different things like this stuff's ethical this isn't we only support like these ethical tourist activities we don't support these and just educating people because people don't know and so I think that would be like a really effective way to fight it. Because then if you've got some 18-year-old Dutch person, they're probably not going to want to support this horrible thing if they actually knew what they were doing. I mean, some people still would, but I think that would make a huge difference. Yeah, I think that's really the whole point of Thatch and Earth. That's kind of, well, not the whole point, but like one of our main aims is just 
to educate people because you can easily book a flight to South Africa, go to the bush, go to one of these sanctuaries and think that you're doing something good. And if you can actually just take a moment to read a couple of articles or to listen to a podcast and just actually get to know a little bit more, just go feeling like a little bit more educated and informed, it can change the whole trip and you absolutely can actually contribute to positive conservation rather than, again, just another business, I would think. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I used to always say to my guests, I, we, we, were, we were pretty pretty versed in how to position a vehicle and allow, allow an animal to approach you, not the other way around, because by allowing the animal to come to you, that animal is in control of the situation the whole time, therefore the animal is far more relaxed. And that's usually when you get your most insane sightings. That's where the most amazing things happen. And I, I used to always position a vehicle and like a great example is wait for a lion to come towards me. And when that animal's gotten comfortable enough and it approaches me and allows me into its space or vice versa, that animal will come really close to the car and the whole car goes tense and the, <gasps> as it gets closer and the, the excitement builds and the animal passes and then there's like a big wave of like energy being released and everyone's so on on a high from this amazing experience. And when you express what that encounter was like compared to maybe walking with an animal next to a cage, they it's it's completely different things. One is one is a natural experience that's really beautiful and the other one is, you know, it, it lacks luster. And I think that's the one thing I used to always try to convey to, to my guests was, you know, you won't get that. If you go to a zoo and you see that animal there, it's not behaving normally and you're forcing yourself on that animal, not the other way around. Well, forcing is, again, the wrong word in, in, in the latter sense, but it's, it's a different experience entirely. And what you see on BBC and all the, these amazing Nat Geo documentaries is an animal in its natural habitat behaving like an animal should. And you're not going to get that when you go to, you know, a sanctuary or to a cub petting, cub petting facility. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, and it's really, it's really nice to hear it. Is education, but also the people who are advertising these things, who are acting as an intermediary, like the backpackers. It's their responsibility to know which companies they are advertising, and just a simple Google search could help so much and just being a little bit more savvy on the companies that you endorse that that's a definite that's that's a easy thing to do and is a great way of tackling an issue like that that's a great answer to be honest yeah and i think it would be so easy i mean for the, especially like the higher end lodges it probably doesn't matter too much to them if people go to these attractions or not i'm sure some of the backpackers have like commission structures but i i, yeah, I just think that would be such a simple thing and so effective yeah. And I think it's also that, um, I don't know quite how to put it into words, but you have these BBC documentaries, Nat Geo documentaries, which are just the most spectacular wildlife event and interaction after interaction after interaction. And I think that builds an expectation with people coming to Southern Africa that they're going to go to the bush or they're going to go on this volunteerism project and drive around the bush and they're just going to see like Ellie's fighting and like lions killing everything that they see when actually it's it's not going to be like that like you're going to drive around a lot and just see Impala after Impala and that will be your day and I think 
a part of um, the responsibility of all the organisations and the volunteerism organisations as a whole is to actually teach people about the wider ecosystems. It's not just a lion or a rescued, rescued in quotes, elephant. It's look at this wider ecosystem and look at actually the benefit that you get from conserving the trees and how that can protect a whole host of species. And rather than just saying, you are here to protect elephants, it's, it needs to sort of transition more into, let's take a step back and you are looking at the bushfell, the, the highfell, whatever, the fane boss, and learn, like it's, it's a learning opportunity as well as you might get to see some cool stuff along the way. For sure. And then those quiet drives too, maybe you'll see some really cool birds. It's like there's mm-hmm. always... <laughs> something good. <laughs> something good. Um, actually, I have a question based around what Phoebe is talking about. And would, would somebody on a volunteerism-based course be able to receive an education in the bush to a degree if they weren't necessarily so savvy on this kind of environment would, would it benefit you to go in these kinds of courses and would you get like an added bit of information or education behind it definitely i mean if you want to start doing stuff like looking at animal tracks like that stuff you just can't really learn with a book or with a computer so yeah i mean if you knew nothing just spending a couple of weeks out there if you actually do want to learn i think you can pick stuff up so quick um, yeah, I mean, start memorizing different plants and animals and learn how to identify tracks. It's just like, I think it's incredible what you can pick up in a few weeks if you are really, really eager. And like people just get very excited and then it like feeds off that. And yeah, you just want to learn more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing about the bush is the more you learn, the less you know. It's, 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 like, it's like that with a lot of things, but the bush, uh, just most na- natural environments as a whole, the closer you look, the more you realize it's just there's so much to absorb. It could take lifetimes to actually really get to that stage. So it's, it's really encouraging to hear that, though, because, I mean, from what I'm hearing, this is actually a great way of introducing people into the bush or into an environment where they can, yes, as you say, if they want to work in the work experience, they can do it too. But it's also another way of connecting with nature. And, yeah, you, you may have to do a little bit of work. Um but it also gives a lot back too. It's it can be a lot more beneficial than just pure experience, which is a very encouraging thing to hear. Yeah, and on that note too, like a lot of volunteerism organizations will get the local community involved too. Like not just working with the local community, but like actually doing conservation education or taking like local kids out on game drives. And that has huge potential to like encourage communities to want to protect their natural resources instead of seeing it as like a kind of a barrier. So I think that's really cool too, when you get like the local kids very excited about conservation and then they tell their parents and then that can make like big changes too. So that's cool to see. And like a lot of different organizations will support things like that. Definitely. It's so vital to be able to work with local communities and get local communities involved because ultimately that's where the future of conservation lies. It lies in the people who live and breathe in that area to work on and understand that that area is so important. So it's really encouraging to hear that, you know, these volunteerism-based industries and particular companies are working on building up that community group because to get your foot in the door if you're part of the local community is really difficult, particularly in a more premium or private establishment. 
you have to do quite a lot of really intense and hard labor just to get yourself into a position where you can say, okay, I'm now working within that industry. And again, it, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, and sometimes people have to dedicate the majority of their life in order to work in that field. So it means it becomes a really large commitment. And by fast-tracking the process, you get them into that industry quicker, which becomes a little bit less of a commitment, which also means that people are far more attracted to it. I don't know. What do you think, Phoebe? Community involvement is a crucial part, I think. And that's like, I think if I was personally looking at a um, volunteerism organization, I would definitely look to see if there was some sort of community involvement, because that would tell me that there's a bit more of a longer term goal than just money from tourists, essentially. What other things would you say is like a really good thing to look out for to identify like a good volunteerism organization? Yeah, I mean, I think that the data being collected is actually used for something. So for me, that's like a big thing for me because you work out pretty quickly if you're just there as a source of income or if like the work you're actually doing is making a positive impact. So I think that's important to ask, like, what will you be doing? And then how will what you are doing actually help conserve the environment? And the answer might be, like, we're just using the money from the volunteers to support this other thing we do that you're not actually involved with. So some of like the very little NGOs have volunteers come and yeah, I mean, you might just be a source of income, but then you also might be collecting data that is used to inform management of the reserves. And then there's not, you know, elephants aren't cold or some other animal isn't cold because they've got like accurate numbers on, yeah, like the population and how populations are doing. So just see what you're like happy with and how it's actually going, how what you're going to do is actually going to make an impact. Yeah, I've I actually got offered a job once with a volunteerism organization. And they're like, we collect data, we go out every day, we just uh, like um they were doing like point counts from vehicles and they were just collecting data of what they saw. And I was like, what is that actually doing? You're essentially taking people on a game drive and writing down what you see. And like that's there's no basis to that. You're just sort of you could be counting the same animal every single day and it, there could just be one elephant on the reserve that happens to like <laughs> like the vehicle sure. you're not getting any population data you're not getting like there's no value to that um so i think that's that's a really really good one to look out for um do you think university involvement is a good thing to look out for do you think that makes a difference if a um ngo like volunteerism organization is affiliated with the university or does it not matter i mean i think that would probably be a good sign because I would imagine universities would do a bit of homework before they would go out. Uh, it's just not something I've particularly seen a lot. I guess the volunteerism organizations I volunteered for were pretty small, but one of them was affiliated with a, a zoo. So they were actually doing like conservation genetics. So like that is a, a good thing to look out for, I suppose, if there's like a zoo involved, as long as it's not, uh, <laughs> they're not just taking animals to the zoo. <laughs> Keeping them in there. <laughs> Yeah, th th that would not be ideal. But I mean, hearing you speak about volunteerism, you obviously have a lot of very in-depth knowledge about this. And there is definitely a passion there. And one of the, one of the things I've been wanting to know is, is if you had to start your own company, how would you go about it? Or what would set you apart? What, what would you do that would make your volunteerism company very special or mm -hmm. unique? Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, geez, you'd have to, I'd have to find something where you could actually make like a big difference. Because one thing I think 
you struggle with with these volunteer projects is you don't actually see the result of what you're doing. So that can be really frustrating for like everyone involved is conservation can be such a long term investment. So it'd be really cool if you could do something where you're like reforesting a mangrove ecosystem or something where you can actually see the results of what you're doing. I think that'd be really cool for volunteers and for, yeah, just like keeping morale up and keeping the project going. But if you can actually see the results of what you're doing year by year and you can actually measure like how is what we're doing making a positive impact or is what we're doing not making any impact and then we need to like adapt kind of our project. But if you can have like indicators and goals and then you can actually hit those and keep going, I think that would be really cool. Instead of like you've got this long-term study but you're not really sure if you're doing anything or not. So I, I really like reforestation programs. I think those are really, really cool. It's like the volunteer place I was with with Madagascar was doing like this huge reforestation project where they're actually trying to connect two forest fragments. So if you can get something where you can see like an end result like that, I think that would be incredible. I don't know if that totally answers your question, but that's a, yeah, it's something I'd have to think about. No, uh, it, it, it answers it answers it pretty well because there was a company that used to work on our reserve in particular in particular who had um, quite a large group of volunteers that would come through and they were they tended to be uh, many international students and just general people who wanted to just come and get a bush experience but not necessarily fork out heap loads of money and um, they used to always come to the reserve and the first thing they did was complain 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 saying you know why are we doing this why are we doing this why are we doing this and when they eventually when they changed the manager he came around and said transparency is the key that was just what he said to us from day one as, as a bunch of guides he came up and said this is what we're doing this is how we're doing it this is what the volunteers are doing and when the volunteers came around their whole attitude towards a change because he would show them physically what they were doing. I mean, one of one of the activities that a lot of these guys had to do was go and get a bunch of um, chicken wire or just general mesh and wrap it around a tree to stop the elephants from debarking particular trees. And it's hours upon hours in the hot baking sun. It's hard work. So if you're coming to have a relaxing holiday, you're not quite getting that in that situation, you know? And when... You come back two, three years later, and that tree is the only only tree standing in that entire area, or at least when you've got photo evidence to show that that's what it used to look like. If we hadn't done it, this is what it would be like, and that tree would be gone too. It changed the tune of the of the group. So it's very interesting that you say that because there there are other people out there who are saying the same thing. You know, showing that there's a notable difference in what you're doing definitely can boost the morale up, but also. If you're not necessarily being shown what's happening with your boots on the ground, there are people out there, if you're at a reputable volunteerism-based center, there, there is definitely things that are happening and you are benefiting them. It may not be apparent, but you definitely are. Even if you are just going out there and you know, looking at the tracks around the outside of your house at night just to see what nocturnal creatures are roaming around. That can benefit to some degree, depending on what they're looking for. For sure. I think, too, what you're talking about with morale is, yeah, it's really important to treat volunteers with respect, too. Like, I've seen organizations where they, yeah, they're almost, like, demeaning to volunteers a little bit. 
So this is someone who in most cases is actually paying for this experience and then, yeah, to treat them with respect and make sure that they are happy, like that they're having fun too and it can't just always be like some task you don't like. So I think that's important to yeah, keep morale up. That is super, super crucial. I've been on projects where they just, you are their little sort of minion yeah. to do all the, all the stuff that they don't want to do. So they like, so the head of the project gets to do all the fun stuff and you have to go and enter data into Excel or whatever right. it might be, which partly, yes, that's good experience, but also you have paid most of the time to go on these projects and you live in a world of reviewing and social media and it's in the project's best interest to not necessarily make it an unrealistic experience, but to at least you're potentially creating conservationists out of this. And I think it's quite interesting in that this is an opportunity where someone could say, right, I'm either going to go into conservation or my experience showed me that it was actually rubbish and (laughs) I didn't enjoy any of the time and it just seems like a terrible career. So I'm going to go into something else. And I think that's a really crucial line that voluntourism organizations need to sort of toe to to realize the potential that they've got and Definitely. the potential that they could essentially ruin yeah, if they do it wrong. That's a good point too. It does seem like though it can be a little bit of a hit and miss where if you're at the right if you found the right place, it's good, but it can go way off that if you if you're not careful um and it seems like there are places that really do provide that and there's also a lot that don't so like i say hit and miss is there anywhere that you would possibly recommend that we could look at going to if say this is something we would like to get involved in like uh different organizations that do volunteerism is that what you're asking uh, organizations, yes, and maybe particular places, any any places that you have in mind. They don't necessarily have to be local to, say, Southern Africa, but places in general. Yeah, I mean, Madagascar, Phoebe volunteered there as well. I had a really good experience there, and that was, like, really, really affordable. Uh, it was such a unique experience. Uh, South Africa is a bit more like an introduction to Africa if you don't want to – I mean, not every but I feel like it's – it can be a little bit easier if you've never been to Africa before. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing because if you've come from the UK, for example, and never really traveled to anywhere that remote or less developed than the UK, throwing yourself into the center of Namibia can be terrifying. <laughs> sure. And South Africa has that beautiful way of allowing you to slowly transition very gently into a bit more wildernessy areas like you go to Cape Town Cape Town could be Europe in some parts and it it is it's a really nice introduction and it allows you to see like oh if I go this like into this part of wilderness this remote space do I feel scared or am I not enjoying it cool okay I'll go back to the Europe bit or I love it I'm gonna dive in further and go to Namibia or go to Madagascar and Madagascar like like you said like it's just amazing and I've not been now since 2012 so it could have changed a lot (laughs) but when I went I was just like this place is incredible and that really got me into because I I did a geography degree as my undergrad so volunteerism really really helped me personally get into conservation and like biodiversity stuff because my degree did not point me in that direction Um, and it was my trip to Madagascar that sort of 
turned me round and got me like really interested in it. So it does have a lot of value and you just have to like try a few out. You, and if, if nothing else, you get to travel and that's the best education you can get at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Cause I had one that I didn't love either, but it was still a cool experience. It just yeah, wasn't quite perfect for me. So that's, yeah, that's awesome to hear though that volunteering had such a big impact on your life. And then you decided you wanted to get into conservation because of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, that's the influence that it had on it. And it was just, I saw like a cool poster in my library at university or whatever it was and thought that looks like a cool way to spend my summer. And it all went from there, really. And then I went back the next year, and then I ended up in <laughs> Namibia. And, and, have, and, have <laughs> and now I'd like to consider myself a South African. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, and almost everybody I know who works in conservation at one point or another has done volunteering projects, like basically everyone. So I think it's something that is very, very common, and people yeah, have a variety of experiences, but for the most part, I think people really enjoy it. And it is a good way to see, like, is this what you want to do? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if nothing else, if at the, the most that it provides you is it teaches you what you don't want to do with your life and gives you a cool traveling experience, then it's been valuable. That's Definitely. not wasted time. Yeah. I think I agree. At, at, the, at the best, it can make you into a passionate conservationist who knows exactly what they want to do. But there's very few conservationists that know exactly what they want to do when they're like, 19 for sure um but if 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 you realize like oh maybe i want to be more in the i don't know hr side of things that's what this could teach you and there are volunteerism opportunities out there to do more like social economic development rather than just ecological definitely wrapping wire around a tree wrapping wire around a tree (laughs) very valuable it is building communities like i don't know we yeah. like we did one where it's like building greenhouses or something like that sort of basic stuff mm-hmm. through like recycled materials that was really really cool yeah eco bricking is kind of a big thing now so there's projects where they'll build like benches and parks uh, for the local community and it's all out of eco bricking yeah and i think also it just it's a really great opportunity to realize the massive disparity that we have in the world and actually appreciate what you've got um and it if it's very easy to get caught up and i think especially in our current social media driven world if you've got to have more and you're constantly comparing yourself and i think it's a great opportunity to sort of reset to realize just quite how privileged you are in the position that you're in to be able to even get the flight to the country that you want to go on like in madagascar the guys that we were working with Bear in mind, Madagascar is a massive country, so it's easier to fly across it. And the guys that we were working with on the project had never even gone on a plane before, never mind a plane that left Madagascar. And that sort of brings you back down to earth a little bit. And I think it can shape you as a person in really powerful ways. Yeah. And then seeing how happy people are, too, with not very much. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we sometimes can cause a bit of clutter in our lives with all the stuff that we tend to get told that we need to have or that we think we need to have. And it's, it's been, it's been really nice chatting to you, Colleen. Uh, really, really eye opening to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I do have one final question for you and that would be 
if you could change one thing in the conservation industry as a whole, as a blanket statement, what would it be and why? So one thing with conservation that is frustrating is I think it tends to be a little exploitative to people. And if there was a way to change it so it was more run like every other industry where you run it kind of like a business, where I feel like conservation can be a bit unsustainable because people will get funding for projects, but they won't get funding for staff. So you can get like a grant, but there'll be no money available to hire anyone. And I think it would be amazing if conservation could be a little bit more like aware of how they're treating the people that are actually working in the field. Like that would be one thing I would change about it if you could. Because some of the positions, I mean, you can barely live off the wage or you're not getting paid at all. And they'll want like a PhD with six years of experience, but they don't even pay you. And so that can be uh, a little frustrating. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that where people have said, um, what was the job that I got offered? It was a job they needed a master's degree, a publication record, and the money would not be enough to cover rent. Never mind anything else. Never mind like bills or food or fuel or transport, just rent. And I was just like, that's, that's not, you're not getting the best people there. You're like, I got offered the job and had to turn it down because I just could not afford to do it. And that's me coming from quite a sheltered, comfortable position where I've managed to like get myself into a nice space. But imagine if, if you were someone who didn't even have that, like that job just wouldn't even be on your radar. And I, I agree with you. I really wish it was, it, it, it's almost like people don't want to acknowledge the economic side of it. And like people are a bit scared that it's, oh, it's made money. That's great. That money can go back into more research. Like that needs to be encouraged rather than we're all going to scrape and battle over a few thousand pounds of funding. Like I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And it's like excluding a lot of times the local community as well, because they I mean, can't certainly can't pay to volunteer. And yeah, they're just kind of excluded from so many opportunities, which then makes them turn to other things, which could be poaching, could be things that aren't so good for the conservation world. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I completely agree. And at the end of the day, conservation and volunteerism should their eventual aim has to be to have their career not be needed anymore, Definitely. essentially. And mm-hmm. like if people conserved and if you had local communities conserving, then you wouldn't need conservationists and you wouldn't then need volunteers in a very twisted way. But right now, it, that, that's still sort of a, a work in progress. But that should be the eventual aim, I guess, which is weird because I'm saying that my job should not exist <laughs> like 20 years. Best case scenario. <laughs> Best case scenario, I'm, employed, I'm unemployed in 20 years. Great. <laughs> Nothing has changed. <laughs> Well, yeah, Corinne, again, really, really appreciate your time on this. Um, it's been really, it's been really enlightening, um, quite introspective. Uh, it's made us reflect a little bit more about what we've done in our past and how we've kind of looked at the bush and, you know, the conservation industry as a whole. So, again, really appreciate your insights on it. And to be honest with you, the answer that you gave us for the, that final question is uh, a question, well, question we normally ask most people that we interview and um, it's a very, very open, pragmatic answer. It's one that's kind of addressing the here and now because a lot of it is that, that wishful thinking of, you know, 
I'll ban hunting or like, you know, and, and, and they're all really, really important things. But that is a great answer in terms of what to do right now that could actually make a genuine difference. And it's been, it was really, really nice to hear that because I think between Phoebe and I, we couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. Because if that changed now, if people just realized that there was value and they contributed money accordingly, the whole conservation industry would light up like a Christmas tree. People would come by their masses to get involved in it. We, we're all kind of waiting for that financial, um, that financial. I don't know how to say it, the, the correct waiting on, on your finances and your revenue to come in for the amount of effort that you're putting in. Because the minute that happens, it becomes more, there's more value and becomes more beneficial to be involved in that community or that kind of field. And at the moment, we're not quite getting that. There is a disparity in terms of income and how much effort you're putting in. So thank you for that answer because it's really nice to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah, because it would incentivize people, very, very intelligent people that don't want to get into conservation because they're like, well, I'd rather you know become a lawyer or get my MBA and then you can yeah make a lot more money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and you can understand that. Like, definitely. I've sort of teetered on the edge of leaving conservation because... I can make a lot more money in a different job. And in my head, I'm like, well, then I can give that money back. Yeah. And that might be more valuable. And sure. that's the problem. Like, the work in conservation is so valuable and it should be financed as such. And right now, it's sort of based off people scraping around, just assuming that they get nothing. So, yeah, I, I think you're. It's, it's, it's a really interesting answer because when you ask people that, they're always like, yeah, like you say, you know, like people need to lower their expectations when they come to the bush or, you know, like whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, really interesting answer. Unbelievable answer, to be honest with you. And just like that, it's, it seems like we've, we've run out of time. And again, thank you, Colleen. I mean, really, really appreciated uh, your insights into this whole thing. Um, Again, I know we've, we thanked you already for it, but it, it's it's been so fascinating to learn a bit more, particularly, like I said, for somebody who doesn't necessarily know as much. It's been a whole new eye-opening world for me. I've really enjoyed it. And even for me, who knows quite a lot about this world, it's great to get someone else's perspective. It's really eye-opening and makes me think a lot. Yeah, it's it's very, very cool to be able to, to learn something new. And... I, I'm just so appreciative of being able to take a little bit of time out of out of her day to to learn a bit more about it. To be yeah. dead fair, yeah. and yeah, I, I, again, really, really, really enjoyed the conversation. And if you did too, please don't forget to sign up to our weekly or monthly newsletters um, on our website www.thatchandearth.com, and also make sure to follow us on all the relevant social platforms. Uh, we also make sure we can stream this on. Uh, a couple different platforms too so if you have a preferred one uh, and we're not streaming on there please let us know because we we're constantly looking at updating this and we really appreciated your time once again so without further ado i'm lawrence and i'm phoebe bye peace